This podcast contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Creepy Cannabis Podcast, where we chat all things creepy, cannabis, true crime, paranormal, and weird. I'm Madeline. I'm Rachel. And here we are. For once, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Unnecessarily. <laughs> um, well, we'll dive right in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I smoked like a fatty fatty before I came in here, and now I'm just like, huh? We were um, making mini foods. Maddie introduced me to the world of miniatures last night. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know it was a thing that you could do. And it comes with literally everything you need but the UV lamp. And it's like $10. And you can just make a gourmet. Well, it's a mystery what you're going to get. Yeah. So that's also fun. I was kind of sad because I got two today. And I got pancakes. And then the second one I opened was the same exact thing. But Maddie gave me one of hers. And she kept the pancakes to be nice. But it ended up being French toast. Oh, that was that one? Mm -hmm. Well, you snooze, you lose. The French toast was adorable, and you seemed really happy with the cake it. So, was cute too. the cheesecake that I got was really cute. But I will say, I feel like it was less fun to put together probably than some of the other ones because it was just a big cheesecake and like yeah. one topping. Yeah, you could probably put stuff on the side and then cure it real fast. I did put like a little one on the side, but it ca- I wasn't doing it right, and I just gave up and scooped it off. But either way, they're so freaking cute. I know, they're so cute. So they're addictive. And we got them from Walmart, so it wasn't like we had to go like out of our way. Anything crazy. I got the last ones. <laughs> yeah. And then we were, Maddie introduced me to a new podcast called The Viral Podcast. <laughs> but we were like watching it on our TV. And, you so know, when people funny. recommend things, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, I'll listen to it. And then I didn't. And she was like, but you're listening to it. I love it. And it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Well, they kind of remind me of us too, mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, they're hilarious. As their, their friendship, rather, mm-hmm. like, kind of similar. Yes. But yeah, you guys should listen to them. I know you don't need us to tell you that, but I'm, very I am telling you anyway. So good. Maybe these 30 people don't know about them. Yeah, maybe. So you're welcome, the viral podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> For our publicity. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the strain today is called Sunset Cookies. Um, it's a cross between OG Kush and Durban Poison. Durban Poison? Mm-hmm. It typically okay. has high amounts of myrcene, pinene, and caryophylline, which give it like spicy, earthy flavor. Um... It is a pretty evenly balanced hybrid, almost 50-50, and um, there are other variations where you'll see a cross between Sunset Sherbert and GMO cookies as well. That's also called Sunset Cookies, so... I think we've talked about that one before, but not this one. Probably. Because this doesn't sound familiar at all, but that does. Um, but yeah, it is supposed to help you feel happy and calm. Um, it usually has 18 to 19% THC. This one's 21%. Yours are always over what they're supposed to be. And it's good for treating chronic stress, anxiety, depression, uh, chronic pain, insomnia, that kind of thing. So all around a good <clears throat> one for It's a nice, evenly balanced hybrid. Yeah. Kind of um, touches 
based on everything a little bit. Mm-hmm. Is that all to report? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I'm so somber today. We also had a fat-ass breakfast, and that oh, shit just so good. slapped we so good. so hungry. Oh, my God. And then there was an event. There was a situation in which, like, uh, it's too long, but just, just trust <laughs> us. There was a situation, but we've recovered. <laughs> All right. Today, I got a long one, so strap in. So this is called the Barney and Betty Hill Incident, and we're going to be talking, I know you're surprised, about extraterrestrials and uh ufos and alien alien abduction so the hills lived in portsmouth new hampshire barney was employed by the united states postal service and betty was a social worker they were active in the local unitarian congregation and they were members of the naacp and community leaders and barney sat on a local board of the united states commission on civil rights um the reason for this is they were an interracial couple at a time when it was particularly uncommon in the United States as Barney was black and Betty was white. And this is back in the 60s, so it was not um, an easy time for them. That's great. Not like it's gotten much better, but... Um, According to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened about 10.30 p.m. on September 19, 1961. The Hills were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls and Montreal. Just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the uh, sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter. Okay. Upward to the west of the moon. While Barney navigated US Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was observing a falling star, but it was moving upward. Because it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look, as well as to walk with their dog, um, Delcy. So he stopped at a scenic picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. Gotta scroll down, please hold. Oh, God, I scrolled too far. <laughs> Keep holding, because. It ain't getting any better, guys. <laughs> oh, sweet lord. <laughs> guys, I have fucked all the way up. There I we go. I have fallen into such disrepair. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Betty was looking through binoculars and observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights, which, interesting, because the last story I did, the one from um, Iran, I believe, they had multicolored lights, too. So that was the second time I'd heard of it. Um, and they traveled across the face of the moon because her sister had several years earlier said she had seen a flying saucer. Betty thought it might be what she was observing Hmm. through binoculars. Barney observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling toward Vermont on its way to Montreal. However, he soon changed his mind because without looking as if it had turned, the craft rapidly descended in his direction. The observation caused Betty to realize the object um, that was a plane was not a plane that hurt my brain. Mm-hmm. They quickly returned to the car and drove toward Fransonia notch, a narrow mountainous stretch of the road. Um, the hill said they continued driving on the isolated road, moving very slowly through Fransonia notch in order to observe the object as it came even closer. At one point, the object passed above a restaurant um, and signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the old man of the mountain, which I guess is a landmark. Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length 
of the granite cliff profile, which was 40 feet long, and it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as the silent um, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. I would be having a whole fucking heart attack, by the way. Mm. Um, About one mile south of Indian Head, they said the object rapidly descended toward their vehicle, (laughs) causing Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet above the hills. Um, no, above the hills car, which was a 1957 Chevy Bel Air. So right above their car. And it filled the entire field of view in the windshield. So like just sat over top of them. Um, it reminded Barney of a huge pancake. Interesting because one of our miniatures was a pancake. Steph. Oh my God, it's so cute. Um, carrying his pistol in his pocket, he stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. That's a no for me. Mm-hmm. Um, using the binoculars, he claimed to have seen 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to look at him. Um, <coughs> in unison, all but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be a bat wing. Oh, what appeared to be bat wing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft. I don't even know what that means. And a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft approached um, to what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet um, overhead and 300 feet away. So only about 50 feet above him and about 300 feet in front of him. Hmm. I'm trying to understand what came out of it and I don't really, but it just sounds like something came out and came down. But I, I don't understand what it is. Um, pew, 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 pew. On October 21st, 1961, what? It's my birthday. Oh, shit. Sorry, I'm a terrible friend. I'm so high. So on your birthday, um, Barney... <laughs> <You're> 1961. <laughs> you old bitch. Barney reported to National Investigations Committee um, on Aerial Phenomena, which is the NICAP. Um, and he com- communicated to an investigator... Wow. An investigator named Walter Webb that the beings were somehow not human. So, Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car at the time that they said, stay where you are and keep looking. He was like, no. Um, In a near hysterical state, he told Betty, they're going to capture us. He saw the object again shift its location to directly above the vehicle. He drove away as fast as he could, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up. Almost immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. The car vibrated and a tingling sensation passed through their bodies. And they like, both are reporting the same things when they're reporting it. So I think that's why I got a lot of notoriety too, because it's just very, Mm -hmm. it's also very specific. Like they go into a lot of detail. Um, The Hill said that they then experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. Um, there was a second series of beeping or buzzing sounds, ret- um, which returned them to full consciousness. And at that time they found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles, but had only vague spotty memories of the section of the road that they had allegedly drived on. They did recall making a sudden sharp, uh, unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock and observing a fiery orb in the road. 
Like, this is a whole situation. Mm-hmm. Why can't it happen to me? I want it to happen to me. I want to know. Okay. They arrived back home at about dawn, and they stated that they had some odd sensations and impulses they couldn't really explain. Um, Betty insisted her luggage be kept near the back door rather than the main part of the house. Their watches would never work again. Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, um, but he couldn't recall it tearing. The toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. Um, Barney said he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual. They took long showers to remove possible contamination and each drew a picture of what they had observed separately. Um, Obviously confused, perplexed, unsure what's going on here. They tried to reconstruct the chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home, but immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. Hmm. Um, After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive into her closet, and she observed that her dress was torn at the hem, zipper, and lining. And later, when she retrieved some items from her closet, she noted a pinkish powder on her dress. So... She hung the dress on her clothesline and the pink powder blew away, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, got the dress, and hung it in her closet. And over the five years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on that dress. Um, There were shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Uh, Betty and Barney experimented with a compass noting that when they moved it close to the spots the needle would whirl rapidly but when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots it would drop down to normal and now we are going to talk about the initial report to the u.s air force and nicap so on september 21st betty telephoned peace air force base to report their ufo encounter though for fear of being labeled eccentric she withheld some of the details on September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson telephoned the Hills for, more, for a more detailed interview. Henderson's report dated September 26th determined that the Hills had probably misidentified the planet Jupiter. Okay. That was later changed to optical condition, inversion, and insufficient data. Report 100-1-61. Air intelligence um, information record. His report was forwarded to Project Blue Book, the U.S. Air Force's UFO research project. I don't know why they constantly have to tell people they're idiots. Like, whether you believe it or not, I think a person would know a fucking distant planet that literally is a star that would not in any circumstances. You know me. I'm super into astrology. Mm -hmm. I have the Skyview app on my phone. I love looking and seeing what planets are. I always thought they were just fucking stars. And my dumbass is like, oh, that's a whole planet. They What they don't do is hover over your cars, though. Certainly not. So I'm just going to leave that there for you. Um, I don't think that's a thing that they do. They are a very far distance away. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to guess, you know, it's like a layman on mm-hmm. this earth, you know? <clears throat> um, within days of the encounter, Betty borrowed from a local library, a UFO book by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Cahoe, um, who's the head of the NICAP, a civilian uh, UFO research group in case I didn't say. On September 26th, Betty wrote to him. She related uh, the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through binoculars. Um, Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. 
Her letter was eventually passed on to Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member. So Webb went on to meet with the Hills on October 21st, 1961. In a six-hour interview, the Hills related all they could remember of the UFO encounter. And Barney stated that he had developed a mental block and that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. He described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somehow not human figures aboard it. He stated, uh, Webb stated that they were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observation where human judgment is involved. Um, Examples being the exact time and length of visibility, apparent sizes of object and occupants, distance and heights, etc. Those are all perspective. So it's not that they're lying or having inconsistencies, but it, it's different based on your perception. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now we're going to talk about <clears throat> Betty's dreams because sis B having dreams. Um, so 10 days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams, which continued for five um, consecutive nights. She stated that she experienced them with a degree of detail and intensity that she had never had before. After the fifth night, they stopped and never recurred, though they occupied her thoughts during the day. When she mentioned them to Barney, he was sympathetic, but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped, and Betty did not mention them to Barney again. So just something she noticed, but I feel that's probably more related to extreme stress. It's very common to have vivid dreams, and Mm -hmm. especially so when they're nightmares, and so she was probably just fucking stress out you just think you got abducted like not scary it's terrifying in november 1961 betty did begin writing down the details of her dreams in one dream she and barney encountered a roadblock and two men who surrounded their car she lost consciousness but struggled to regain it then she realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest at night and of seeing Barney walking behind her, though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance or sleepwalking. The men stood about five feet to five feet four inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by military cadets. They appeared nearly human with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Their skin was a grayish color. Ew. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once inside, Barney and Betty were separated. She protested and was told by a man um, she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. She and Barney were then taken to separate rooms. Betty then dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this new man the examiner and said he had a pleasant, calm manner. Though the leader and the examiner spoke spoke to her in English, the examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect and she had difficulty understanding him. The examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the difference between humans and the craft's occupants. He seated her on a chair and a bright light was shown on her. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat and hands he saved trimmings of her fingernails and after examining her legs and feet he used a dull knife similar to a letter opener to scrape some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane he then tested her nervous system and he thrust the needle into her belly button which caused her extreme pain ew whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes the pain vanished 
So this is her. These are her dreams. <clears throat> right. These are not like her. Well, I guess it's like up for debate in her mind, but these are her dreams. The examiner left the room and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. She picked up a book with rows of strange symbols um, that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked from where he came and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. In Betty's dream about the, um, in Betty's dream account, I'm sorry, the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she couldn't keep the book, stating that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. She and Barney were taken to their car, where the leader suggested they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so and then resumed their drive home. Um, so that's her dream, which is it a dream? Is it a repressed memory? We don't know. Then we're talking about some missing time. So on November 25th, 1961, uh, the Hills were interviewed again at length by NICAP members, and this time C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Homan. Um, having read the initial report uh, from Webb, who interviewed them previously, Jackson and Homan had many questions for the Hills. One of their main questions was about the length of the trip. Although the Hills had noted that they had arrived home later than anticipated, um, the drive itself should have only taken them about four hours. They did not realize that they had arrived home seven hours after their departure, so they essentially lost three hours of what they should have. Hmm. <clears throat> when Homan and Jackson <laughs> noted this discrepancy to the hills, the couple had no explanation um, other than missing time. They claimed to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of U.S. Route 3 between Lincoln, Indian Head, and Ashland. Both claim to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that it must have been the moon, but Homan and Jackson informed them that the moon had set earlier in the evening. Hmm. How's it sitting on the ground if you thought it was the moon? I'm so confused. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, maybe like at a distance as it's like setting. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, oh. Um, the subject of hypnosis did come up. And it was decided that it should be carried out in order to recover previously irretrievable memories. Barney was really apprehensive, but thought it might help Betty to put to rest what Barney described as the nonsense about her dreams. It's kind of rude that he called it nonsense when mm -hmm. he experienced this too. I Part of me thinks he just was scared because he, if you listen to how he talks about it, I think he kind of thinks something nefarious went down that he necessarily doesn't want to remember. Um... By February 1962, the Hills were making frequent, frequent weekend drives to the White Mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark more memories. Um, they were unsuccessful in trying to locate the site where they recalled seeing the fiery orb sitting in the road. However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes. Um, they found what they claimed was the capture site on Labor Day weekend in 1965. On November 23rd, 1962, they attended a meeting of the parsonage of their church where Captain Ben H. Sweat of the United States Air Force uh, was a guest speaker. Having had an interest in hypnosis, the Hills approached Sweat privately and related their strange encounter. He was particularly interested in the missing time, um, and they asked if he would hypnotize them to recover their memories, but he declined and cautioned them against uh, going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. He was like, that's damn. Which, good on you, sir. Mm -hmm. Being like, no, I'm not going to take your money when I can't do this. Yeah. Um, on March 3rd, 1963, the Hills first publicly discussed the UFO encounter with a group at their church. 
On September 7th of the same year, Captain Sweat returned and gave a formal lecture on hypnosis to a meeting at the Unitarian Church. After the lecture, the Hills told him that Barney was going to a psychiatrist, a Mr. Stevens, whom he liked and trusted. Um, Captain Sweat suggested that Barney ask him about the use of hypnosis in their case. <clears throat> when Barney, excuse me, I went too far. Please hold. When Barney next met with Stevens, he asked about the hypnosis, and Stevens referred to the Hills to Benjamin Simon of Boston for that. Um, on November 3rd, 1963, the Hills spoke before an amateur UFO study group, the two-state UFO study group in Quincy Center, Massachusetts. The Hills first met Simon on December 14th, 1963. Early in their discussions, um, he determined that the UFO encounter was causing Barney far more worry and anxiety that he was willing to admit, which is exactly what I thought. Um, though Simon dismissed the popular extraterrestrial terrestrial hypothesis as impossible, it seemed obvious to him that the Hills genuinely thought they had witnessed a UFO with human-like occupants. So regardless if he felt it was real or not, they truly genuinely believed it to the point of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so Simon was hoping to uncover more about the experience to help them. So let's talk about his sessions. Let me see what page number I'm on because this is lengthy. We're on 8 of 16. What's our timestamp? 24. Oh, we can do the whole. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 Sorry, guys. You know, I got to <laughs> keep you guys in the, in the forefront of my mind. Um, Simon began hypnotizing the Hills on January 4th, 1964. He hypnotized Betty and Barney several times each, and the sessions lasted until June 6th of that same year. Simon conducted the sessions on Barney and Betty separately so they could not overhear one another's uh, recollections. Hmm. And at the end of each uh, session, he reinstated amnesia. I don't know what that means. Like, he made them have amnesia? I don't understand that. Please hold. I'm clear. <sighs> so thirsty. So let's talk about Barney's sessions. Um, so he was hypnotized first. His recall of witnessing non-human figures was quite emotional, punctuated with expressions of fear, um, emotional outbursts, and incredulity. I think I said that right. Barney said that due to his fear, he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and physical examination. Based on these early responses, Simon told Barney that he would not remember the hypnosis sessions until he was certain he could remember them without being further traumatized. So that's why he was putting them back into a state of amnesia. Okay. Okay. I didn't even know you could do that. I want to get hypnotized, though, low-key, while we're talking about it. I've always wanted to. I want them it to works. hypnotize me and be like, stop eating so much food. If it works. Um, and I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> Under hypnosis, as was consistent with his conscious recall, Barney reported that the binocular straps had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off of the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road. The car stalled and three of the men approached the car. They told Barney not to fear them. He was still anxious, however, and he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. Um, and while hypnotized, Barney said, I felt like the eyes, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Okay. Ew. Gross. Right? Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic, not dream recollection. So not the gray blue lips that we had heard before, but her hypnotic recollection of them. Mm -hmm. 
The beings often stared into his eyes, said Barney, with a terrifying, mesmerizing effect. Under hypnosis, Barney said things like, oh, those eyes, they're there in my brain. From his first hypnosis session, and um, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. From his second, second hypnosis session, he said, and all I see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Why were we just doing another episode in which I was talking about how the biblical description of fucking angels is just fucking eyeballs? And now I'm just like up here like, it's just aliens the whole time just pushing their eyeballs into our eyeballs. Yeah. Ew. Okay. Barney related that he and Betty were taken onto the dish-shaped craft where they were separated. He was escorted to a room by three of the men and told to lie on a small rectangular exam table. His narrative of the exam was fragmented. He continued to keep his eyes closed for most of the exam. A cup-like device was placed over his genitals. He did not experience an orgasm, though Barney thought that a sperm sample had been taken. So the men scraped his skin and peered in his ears and mouth. A tube or cylinder was inserted into his anus and quickly removed. Someone uh, felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae. Why is it always got to be the booty holes? That's my question. Like, what do you want up there? (laughs) I love the movie, Paul. When he's like this with a donut. (laughs) Circling it around. Um, While Betty reported a conversation with the leader in English, Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand. Betty also mentioned this detail. The few times they communicated with him, Barney said it seemed to be thought transference at that time he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy so he just knew they were in his mind both betty and barney stated that they hadn't observed the being's mouse moving when they communicated in english with them so it does seem like it was all telepathic but they just didn't have like the ability to explain that as well oh god i keep doing it guys thanks for bearing with me while i learn how to navigate computers um barney recalled being escorted from the ship and taken to his car in a daze he watched the ship leave he remembered a light appearing on the road and he said oh no not again he recalled betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon though the moon had set several hours earlier he also stated that he attempted to produce the code-like buzzing sounds which seemed to strike the car's trunk a second time by driving from side to side and stopping and starting the vehicle but he wasn't able to replicate it now for Betty's sessions under hypnosis, hers was similar to her five dreams about the UFO abduction, but some notable differences, well, <laughs> mainly pertaining to her capture and release, and then also the technology and the craft was different. The short men differed significantly in physical appearance, and the sequential order of the abduction differed. Barney and Betty's memories in hypnotic regression were, however, consistent with one another. So her dreams were probably her subconscious mind trying to cope with the reality of what had happened that she didn't remember yet. So that's why her dreams were so similar to the real situation. However, the fact that she and him had identical experiences is much as we joke and as weird as it is. I don't know how you could deny that two people interviewed separately. And even if they had conversed a lot prior to these things, they had no way of knowing what questions were going to be asked specifically and what way you know what i mean so it's still to me it's still very interesting Mm -hmm. 
I have to read this message really quick. It's my goddaughter's mom, and I just want to make sure she coop. She's probably just like, where are you? What are you doing? Okay. She was just telling me when she's getting dropped off. No one panic. I, you know, it's weird because now whenever she messages me, my heart immediately is like, is something wrong with the baby? <laughs> I feel bad because sometimes she calls me just to talk to me. And when I open FaceTime and it's her face and not the baby, I'm like, where, where, why are you here? What do you need from me? <laughs> um, yeah. So they were consistent with one another, which was really interesting. So Betty exhibited considerable emotional distress when recounting her capture and examination. Um, Simon actually ended one of her sessions early because she was physically crying. He was like, I'm not doing that to her uh, because he was very concerned with making sure they weren't traumatized again. Um, Simon gave Betty the post hypnotic suggestion that she should sketch a copy of the star map that she later described as a three dimensional projection, similar to a hologram when they had asked where they had come from, though the map he saw had many stars. She drew only those that stood out in her memory and her map consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed a distinctive triangle. She said she was told the stars connected by the solid lines formed trade routes, whereas the dash lines were to less traveled stars, which is crazy. So his conclusions after the hypnosis session, Simon speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Simon thought it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Barney rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both their narratives that were unique to each other. Barney was now ready to accept that he had been abducted by the occupants of a UFO, though he never embraced it as fully as Betty did. Because she was just like, this is what happened to me. This is my life. Um, Though they disagreed with Simon about the cause of their distress, they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective and the Hills were no longer tormented by abduction anxiety. So regardless of their agreeing to disagree, they felt better and they were, they were doing better. Um, When the hypnosis sessions were complete, Simon wrote an article about the Hills for the journal Psychiatric Opinion, explaining his conclusion that the case was a singular psychological aberration. Which that's the other thing too. Like I know there are other instances of people like having shared delusions or whatever, but I don't know. I feel, I hear a lot of stories even on Reddit of people missing time while driving. Just too many consistencies. Please hold while I light this. Okay. I was going to fill the silence, but then I yawned the entire length of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally fine. I needed a breath. The Hills went back to their regular lives. and They were willing to discuss the alleged encounter with friends, family, and the occasional researcher, but they made no effort to seek publicity or money out of it, Um, which also makes me feel more like their account is truthful. On October 25th of 65, a front page story in the Boston Traveler asked UFO Chiller, did they seize couple? Oh, is that where they came from? Like how they always, like, are referred to as they in movies? I don't know. Okay. Well, reporter John H. Luttrell of The Traveler had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture the Hills had made in Quincy Center in late 63. He learned that the Hills had undergone hypnosis with Simon, and he also obtained notes from the confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. And on October 26th, the United Press International 
picked up his story and the Hills earned international attention. Hmm. Well, I mean, it sucks, but what can you do? I did it again, guys. In 1966, Rod, Rod, Jesus, writer John G. Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon and wrote the book, The Interrupted Journey, about the case. The book included a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map, and it was a quick success and went through several printings. Sadly, Barney died of a cerebral hemorrhage, which I think is fucking weird, on February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46, after which Betty went on to become a celebrity in the UFO community. Because I do think out of respect for him, because if you, as you're hearing, he was never fully embracing it, and she was, like, all about it. Mm -hmm. So I do appreciate that she waited until he passed to, like, really pop off. Um, so... Where was I? Yeah. She then sadly died of cancer on October 17, 2004, but she was 85 years old. Octobers. Yeah. She was 85, and she never remarried. He <laughs> was the love of her life. Um, analyzing the star map in 1968, Marjorie Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, read Fuller's book, Interrupted Journey. She was an elementary school teacher and amateur astronomer, and intrigued by the star map, she wondered if it might be deciphered to determine which star system the UFOs had come from. Assuming that one of the 15 stars on the map must represent Earth's sun, uh, she constructed a three-dimensional dimensional model of the nearby sun-like stars, um, which, if you don't know, are stars deemed to have characteristics that could support life such as that found on Earth. Wait, so, like, are planets just stars? Are we a star? I don't understand. I thought stars were gas balls. I can't get into this right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for another time. Yes. Using thread and beads, basing stellar distances on those published in the 1969 Giselle Star Catalog. Uh, she studied thousands of vantage points over several years. The only one that seemed to match the hill map was from the viewpoint of the double star system of Zeta Reticuli, about 39 light years from Earth. And if you can get here so damn fast, you can fucking take me with you. So Fish sent her analysis to Webb, who was the person who initially interviewed them from that organization. Agreeing with her conclusions, he sent the map to Terrence Dickinson, editor of the magazine Astronomy. Dickinson did not endorse Fish and Webb's conclusions, but for the first time in the journal's history, Astronomy invited comments and debate on a UFO report, um, starting with an opening article in December 1974. For about a year afterward, the opinions page of astronomy carried arguments for and against the star map notable was an argument made by carl sagan and steven soder arguing that the star map was little more than a random alignment of chance points in an episode of cosmos in 1980 sagan demonstrated that without the lines drawn in the maps the hill map bore no resemblance to the real life map in contrast those more favorable to the map such as david saunders um, who was a status statistician who had been on the, who had go, uh, gone on to condone UFO study, disagreed. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I made that so hard for everyone. Saunders claimed that a match among 16 stars with a specific spectral type among the thousand stars nearest the sun is at least 1,000 to 1 against. So there's a lot of dispute over her stars and where they came from. In early 1900s, the European Hippocras, um, which is the high-precision parallax-collecting satellite, 
mission, which measured the distances to more than 100,000 stars around the sun more accurately than ever before, showed that some of the stars in Fish's interpretation of the map were in fact much further away than previously thought. Other research revealed that some stars counted by Fish as likely to host life would have to be excluded by her own criteria, while some other stars which had been discounted by Fish would have been recognized as potential abodes for life. So they basically, with these better images, were like, it's not necessarily that the hills got it wrong, but the map that this person made, like she decided which ones might contain life. And she's just an amateur astronomer. They had no proof of this. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to make these lines and make these things fit with like next to no information. Um. So results like these did lead Fish to herself to reject her hypothesis in a public statement. So at least she could admit, like, no, I'm wrong. Um, the 1966 publication of Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller details much of the Hill's claims. Um, and excerpts of the book were published in Look Magazine, and the book went on to sell many copies and greatly publicized their account. Um, then... The Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience by Betty Hill's niece and founder of the Mutual UFO Network uh, further explored Fuller's themes along with scientist Stanton T. Friedman. Um, this person knew Betty well and had spoken with her at great length about the encounter. She examined the historical records and scientific reports pertaining to the case and transcribed the Hill's hypnosis sessions uh, with Benjamin Simon for her detailed comparative analysis. So she was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to dig in here and figure it out. Uh, psychiatrists later suggested that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the early 60s. Okay. I needed a moment of silence for that stupidity. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't stressful. It fucking was. But not so stressful that you're hallucinating being fucking abducted and anally probed. Betty discounted the suggestion, noting her relationship with Barney was happy and their interracial marriage caused no notable problems with their friends or family who were the ones who mattered. As noted in the interrupted journey, Simon thought that the Hill's marital status had nothing to do with the UFO encounter. So even the person who didn't agree that they had been abducted didn't think their marriage had anything to do with their fear. Um, Jim McDonald, who was a resident of the area in which the Hills claim to have been abducted, has produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. McDonald notes that from the road the Hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the Hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep deprivation, and false memories recovered under hypnosis. So he's basically saying that he can track the movements of the light they saw based on the route that they took, and he thinks that then the stress and uncertainty of it, followed by all the trauma and attention afterwards, and then hypnosis calls them to kind of create these dreams and then these memories. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, yes. UFO expert Robert Schaefer writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep deprived. McDonald's article focuses primarily on the Hills observations of the light in the sky and the timing of the journey, discounting the Hills accounts of close encounters south of Cannon Mountain as recovered memories. Um, skeptical inquirer columnist Robert Schaefer wrote, 
I was present at the National UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, at which Betty presented some of the UFO photos she had taken. She showed what must have been far more than 200 slides, mostly of blips, blurs, and blobs against a dark background. These were supposed to be UFOs coming in close, chasing her car, landing, etc. After her talk had exceeded about twice its allocated time, Betty was literally jeered off the stage by what had been a first, at first a sympathetic audience. This incident, um, witnessed by many of UFOlogy's leaders and top activists, removed any lingering doubts about Betty's credibility. She had none. In 1995, Betty Hill wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with delusional stories such as seeing entire squadrons of UFOs in flight and a truck levitating above the freeway. He really hates her. Mm-hmm. Schaefer um, later wrote... That as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by UFO enthusiast John Oswald. When asked about Betty's continuing UFO observations, Oswald stated, she is not really seeing UFOs, but she is calling them that. On the night they went out together, Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. In a later interview, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, UFOs are a new science and our science cannot explain them. I feel like I could honestly look at it both ways. I could look at it as if she's traumatized from what she's been through and now can't discern and is obsessed with it because she wants to understand what happened to her. And I could also understand that they really did just have a shared delusion from whatever circumstance or reason. Um, Robert Schaefer released 48 pages of archived documents relating to Betty and Barney Hill Benjamin Simon and Philip J. Class on the internet on December 23rd, 2015. I like how it's like, we got the internet now. Putting it out there. Um, then there was some similarities, and guys, we're so close to being done. There was some similarities to the Outer Limits. You guys remember the Outer Limits? No? Okay. <laughs> In his 1990 article, entirely um, unpredisposed, Martin Cottimer suggested that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the science fiction television show The Outer Limits, The Bolero Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before the first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says, in all the universes and all the unities beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report from the regression featured a scenario that was in some respects similar to the television show in in part. Um, Wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. I know of only one instance. They appeared on uh, the alien of an episode of an old TV series, The Outer Limits, which we just talked about. Um, A person familiar with Barney's sketch in The Interrupted Journey and the sketch done in collaboration with the artist David Baker will find a Frisian of deja vu creeping up his spine when seeing this episode. The resemblance is much abated by an absence of ears, hair, and nose on both aliens. Um, Could it be by chance? Consider this. Barney first described and drew the wraparound eyes during the hypnosis session dated February 22nd, 1964. The Bolero Shield was first broadcast on February 10th, 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. If um, If the identification is admitted... The communists of wraparound eyes in the abduction literature falls to cultural forces. So basically they're saying he copied it. And they asked Betty about it and she was like, I've never heard of the outer limits. 
Um, he also put, Cottomer also pointed out some other stuff in the Hills account were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars, a careful analysis of Barney's description of the non-human entities um, that he observed reveals significant similarities between the Bifrost men um, and Barney's details. Uh, you have to also take into account Barney's conscious, continuous recall of the entities he observed on the hovering craft. They were dressed in black, skinny uniforms and were somehow not human. Um, so basically no one really knows that is their story that's what they recall it's really hard for me because i really i really could see it going 50 50 i could see a couple who just really enjoyed ufos and spooky things and got themselves convinced it happened and maybe did work themselves into like a mutual thing maybe barney was apprehensive to go at it as much as betty because he didn't really believe it or maybe they were really fucking traumatized yeah and we'll never know but I did think their their account was, like, really interesting. I liked that it had a lot of details. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I can work with this. Yeah, I can work really with this. I still want to be abducted. I really don't want to have my eyeballs oh. pushed in with eyeballs. And I don't want to be anally probed. However, I mean, you could you can knock around on these a little bit. <laughs> Give them a little slippy slappy. Slap them around. <laughs> They'd be like, this one is obese. Let's examine this. <laughs> what is this? Ugh. Um. Uh. That was louder than I intended. Okay, well, that's all I have to say on that. So, um, goodbye. Well, goodbye.